Welcome to Emotional Savvy, the Relationship Help Show. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. If you're ready to increase your confidence in conversations and conflict, deepen your self-awareness, expand your connectedness, and enrich your relationship with yourself and other humans you care about, and even those you wish you didn't, you're in the right place. Enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to Emotional Savvy. I'm always looking forward to my great guests just as much as I look forward to having you back here for every episode. When we are endeavoring to have the best relationships with ourselves and others that we possibly can, it's so important to have the insights, the strategies, the skills, and the support that I bring you here. And I know that I do my best to find you the most interesting people possible. And today I've done that. I have as my guest, Swami Sadashiva Tirtha. He's going to talk to you about many, many things. I think you're going to find it really interesting. He's an Ayurveda expert. And before that, I'm going to talk to you about what I consider to be scary reasons why unconditional love can be a dangerous myth. So lots here for you. And today's show is brought to you by the Relationship Checklist. If you want to know how your relationship is doing, go to relationshipchecklist.com and it's free and you can figure it out and move from there. I created that checklist so that you would have a way to calibrate what's really going on to see what the health of your relationship is. So enjoy today and let's get on with it. You may be thinking that unconditional love is going to be the way that you save your relationship. And there are some real pitfalls in thinking that. Because when you are thinking about unconditional love, that's all about you giving and giving and giving and putting up with absolutely everything. And that's not what it's about at all. So I want to share four what I consider scary reasons why unconditional love is a dangerous myth in some cases. <clears throat> because unconditional love is not what you think it is. Unconditional love, it, it sounds so good, so right, so worth pursuing, so righteous. It sounds like perfection and world peace. In fact, it sounds like a Miss America pageant, but it's a trap. If you buy the myth that it's possible to love unconditionally, it will keep you perpetually feeling inadequate. Can you actually... In real life, within the human condition, can you actually imagine being able to accept another adult without him or her having to meet any conditions or to love them completely irrespective of their behavior? By all means, give unconditional love to babies and young children. But beyond that, what about standards and values and morals and justice and legality and boundaries? Are you ready to let them go too? Because unconditional love dismisses them. So here are very four what I consider very important reasons why unconditional love is not a healthy model for grown-up relationships. 
yes, it's wonderful when everybody is an adult and emotionally healthy, but there are many cases where it is not a healthy model. So here's number one. Unconditional love can be a toxic myth. It insinuates that non-acceptance is a bad thing. That boundaries and issues and feelings, even conflict maybe, is bad because we should accept everything. In fact, more than accept, it demands that we blindly love the person and the behaviors. What enabling nonsense. Relationships have issues. Healthy relationships demand working through those issues in a mature, positive way. Negotiating the appropriate, reasonable conditions for a mutually satisfactory experience of love between partners. You establish known conditions and negotiate new agreements to create safety and trust and to create a non-manipulative, game-free space where you two can grow together and flourish. Number two, unconditional love is like a get-out-of-jail-free card. If someone loved you unconditionally, think about this now, if someone loved you unconditionally, you'd be free to treat them in whatever way you wanted. You could lie, cheat, manipulate, exploit, even abuse, and you'd never be called on it. Now, how can that be loving? Because remember what I said, unconditional love is going to keep you in a state of perpetually being inadequate because you'll constantly be called to give more and to put up with more and it won't be healthy. So like I said, if you love someone unconditionally and they know it and maybe they believe that you believe it's the right thing to do and if you're with a hijackal, they're going to use that. Oh my, they're going to use that. And then they'll come back at you and say, but you believe in unconditional love. Why are you talking to me like that? So we can't allow people to lie, cheat, manipulate, exploit, or abuse us because we somehow believe in unconditional love. How can that be loving? It certainly isn't healthy. In my work with the partners and exes and adult children of these relentlessly difficult, disturbing, and toxic people that I call hijackals, I clearly see the failings and impossibilities of unconditional love. Yes, you can be unconditionally loving at a distance, maybe a very great distance, maybe over a long time. That's for you to do. But to be in the relationship with them, letting them get away with anything, treating you in any way, that is not what we're talking about when we talk about unconditional love. Because remember, hijackals want to hijack relationships for their own purposes, and then they want to relentlessly scavenge them for power, status, and control. So you believe in unconditional love, and they want emotional, verbal, and physical advantages, not to mention sexual, and they want to win no matter the cost. So what happens? You lose every time. That's a marriage made in hell. So number three, the term unconditional love has a surprising and out-of-context origin. Just in case you thought the term came from some spiritual tradition, it didn't. Eric Fromm, he was a psychiatrist, a psychologist, and he introduced the idea in 1934, and he wrote about it in his book, The Art of Loving, in 1956. So you can see it's pretty new. 
and he suggested several kinds of love, the first being a mother's unconditional love for her infant. She has no expectations for it to live up to. She loves it just because it breathes. And in that same book, though, he states that a father's love has to be different. It has to be, believe it or not, somehow deserved. Fromm says that the father sets the standard a child must meet if he or she wants love. So, OMG, that's the origin of the term unconditional love. And I hope you see why you absolutely must question the whole idea now. In Fromm's work, unconditional love was for infants. And yes, by all means, let's have more of that. But generalizing it to all people in all situations, bad idea. Why? Well, it's an unattainable myth. It guarantees that you'll fail. And while it's guaranteeing that you'll fail, it guarantees it'll keep you feeling small, striving, guilty, never good enough. In my book, Kaizen for Couples, I emphasize that mutuality is essential for having a healthy relationship. And in there, I wrote these words, mutuality is for emotional grown-ups. It is based on an interest in each other as a whole, complex person living in the present. When dependence or codependence are consistently present in a relationship, mutuality cannot be. Mutuality, then, is a defining condition for a healthy, mature relationship. Remember, that's from my book, Kaizen for Couples, K-A-I-Z-E-N for Couples. You can get it on Amazon or go to kaizenforcouples.com. So healthy relationships cannot be unconditional because that would call for either continuing masochism or endless self-sacrifice. And who would want to live like that, right? Not you. So number four, unconditional love undermines justice. There would be no sanctions, no punishments for those who've hurt others. Well, that's crazy, right? If life has purpose and meaning, which most people believe it does, then there can be no such thing as an unconditional experience. We're creatures of perception, and everything has purpose and meaning. We're confronted by conditions that invite and allow us to learn and to grow. And unconditional love wipes all that out. It just dismisses the significance of ourselves and others as unique human beings. And it makes all behaviors okay. And they're not. They're not at any level. So who would want to live in that paradigm with that myth? I hope that you can now see why I say that this is a very dangerous myth. Great for babies and children, not great when you're trying to negotiate and have a mutual, reciprocal, equal, and therefore healthy, mature relationship between two adults. If you want to learn more about this, go to forrelationshiphelp.com. Sign up for my newsletter, Tips for Relationships, and let's stay in touch. There's so much to discover.
Emotional Savvy, the Relationship Help Show. I'm so excited today because I get a friend as well as a guest, someone that I've had the joy of knowing for a while and know all about him. So I want you to meet Swami Sadashiva Tirtha, the orange cowboy, if you hadn't figured that out already. <laughs> and he came complete with his wings today so we're gonna fly yes 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 so let me tell you a little bit about joy 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 indeed that Swami's mantra and let it be ours for this time together I'm gonna read you a little bit about Swami the orange cowboy he is the host of a TV show that I have had the opportunity and joy to be a guest on. And that show is called Talking with Your Angels. Or is it Talking with Our Angels? Yes, Our Angels. Our Angels. So Talking with Our Angels. And you can learn more about that at TalkingWithOurAngels.com. So, <laughs> so tell us about the show, Swami. Sure. Really, the angels told me I'm going to get this show. And somebody offers, says, you know, you really need to have your own TV show. And I said, well, that's what the angels told me. I'm just waiting for the invitation. He said, well, I'm inviting you to get the show. <laughs> this was Eric Zuli from the Easy Way Network. And I, between Eric and Denise, the, the president of the network, I got the show. And as soon as I hung up from them, the angel said, so, what are, you, what are you going to call the show? And here's a little hint. Talk about what you know. I said, okay, well, you got me the show, so it's talking with my angels. And they said, talking with our angels. And they very emphatic, capital O. <laughs> so it's not me saying, oh, it has to be our, but that's what they're saying. So, yeah. So, and the show is missing. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. The show is oh, So the mission of the show is to show people, to hear guests talk about how they talk with their angels and in listening and following magic and miracles, their lives change just like that. We have the power within us and everybody can see that and learn. We're never lost. We're never alone. We can go within at any time and, and ask for guidance and ask for help and get instant results. So that certainly answers a question that I was about to ask you. And you may have something else to say about that, which is, you use the word angels, but there are lots right. of other things that people call that sense, yes. aren't there? Like perhaps Absolutely. our intuition or our guidance or guidance. many, source. many things. Yes. God. yes. 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 And, you know, I call it the infinite invisible. There you go. <laughs> right. So there are lots and lots of ways that we look at that. But what we're talking about is that felt sense that you're not alone and you're being given information of some kind, whether it's a glimpse right. of something, a little catch of a sound of something that then you can focus on and hear and understand. So you teach people how to communicate with their inner voice or God or angels, whichever word that we choose. And the first relationship we have is the one with ourselves, you say. So when we love ourselves and hear our highest guidance, all other relationships and career vision flows smoothly. And I think your story about the television show gave great, great support to that comment that you made. And you've written some books. Tell us about the books you've written. 
Sure. My my first book was a, the Grand Slam the Ayurveda Encyclopedia. It sold thirty thousand copies. Amazon to date, so far it's still selling. They're um, Amazon number one bestseller for a number of years, and. After that, I was guided to write a modern commentary on the Bhagavad Gita, mm -hmm. which is the essence of all Hindu Vedic philosophy. And I did that one because there were so many Gitas out there, but my students said, but nobody talks about it from the modern day examples. I don't have a bow and arrow. I don't have a chariot. <laughs> uh, what about my life? And so uh, the download just poured through and very quickly that book came out. I have a book called The Stress-Free College Student, and that's because <laughs> 80, 70 to 80% of college students are extremely stressed, and that can lead to, to illness and even um, death in, in any number of forms, health or mental or physical health. And it's just a little book of, opened up to the, the page, there's five key reasons students are stressed, so I made five key chapters, workload, relationship, mental health, physical health, self-worth. I think those are the five chapters. Then I wrote a book called 21 Days of Joy. And that is because <laughs> neuroscience tells us if we do anything for 21 days, we create a new habit in our brain, a new pathway. So you do each day instead of chapters, it's a day. And one little tip. So after 21 days, you've developed the habit of joy in our, in our lives. Which suits your mantra very, very well. So let's talk about things that are about relationships because your bio started with the idea that the relationship with ourselves is a beginning and then our relationship with whatever we're calling it, the infinite, invisible God, angels, guidance, intuition, <laughs> whatever that is, is another full-on relationship that is mm. one that we sometimes ignore, don't we? Yeah, yeah, you know, the we're always looking out and all the answers are inside of us. And it's so liberating once we even start to consider that's possible. Mm -hmm. We grew yeah. up with a motto, keeping up with the Joneses, but keep up with the heart, heart, you know, listen to your heart. I think, you know, I've, I've done a lot of spiritual teaching too, Swami, and and. One of the things that seem to really resonate for people, they say, well, how do I know? How do I know? I say, and I used to live in a place that had a lot of rain. So I said, if you hear a little voice on your way out the door that says, go back for the umbrella, that's what you're listening for. But it's a sunny day. I don't need an umbrella. No, just take <laughs> the umbrella, right? <laughs> Because we have that idea that, no, no, I can figure it all out. I know everything, and I'm going to push on through, and I know. But when we actually sit quietly and we listen, there is such a richness, such a richness. And in that relationship with ourselves, sometimes that's the starting point, isn't it, for figuring out what's happening in our relationship with others. Oh, without our relationship with ourselves, Without loving ourselves, how can we know what love is to give to others? How can we, you know, I tell people, if you don't fill up your gas tank, can you, how can you go and drive to help other people? So if we don't nurture ourselves with good food, good thoughts, loving dreams, listening to our dreams, 
we, if we're not happy and loving, how can we really help others? Will we just do it mechanically, but without mm -hmm. any spirit in our heart? So I'm going to ask you a difficult question because I'm really interested in your take on this, Swami. What do you think about unconditional love? That, you know, all these big words, we have to break them down. What do they mean? And a lot of people say they love unconditionally. I think that's something we have to exercise every day. And unconditional love, I think real unconditional love is we, whatever we do, we, we don't catch ourselves going, why you shouldn't you so in, into ourselves. If we are conditionally loving ourselves, I'm a good person if I work today. If, I, if there's an if to our love, that's conditional love. And like all love can go deeper and deeper, I believe condition, unconditional love, there's no end to that either. Mm -hmm. Always grow deeper. I like that. Thank you for sharing that because I think it's important. You know, what I find in my work, working with, with people who are the partners or the exes or the co-workers or the children of relentlessly difficult and toxic people, is exactly what you were talking about. They've had their self-talk shaped by somebody who was so judgmental and so needing to be fiercely competitive with them. And so it's sometimes a big journey to come to that unconditional willingness to love yourself and we can't give a gift we don't have so if we don't have that within ourselves and cultivate that within ourselves we're going to find we have some stopping points when it comes to others Absolutely. but i just want to put this piece in here because i'm asked that question frequently myself and i'm interested in your take on this part mm. is people will use that unconditionally loving, particularly hijackles, the difficult, toxic people I talk about, will use it on their partners or friends or whomever as a bit of a club. Because if you are endeavoring to be unconditionally loving and they know you're working at that, they will make it a weapon. They will turn it to you. And I, if, I, if you're so unconditionally loving, I can do anything I want and you should stay on your path. And it's a very, very difficult thing for some of my clients to realize that you can be unconditionally loving of yourself and of them and have distance and don't condone and enable abuse. Well, this, um, this is such a wonderful question because it is really a nugget that can, it seems like a hard walnut that needs cracking open, and it does. Unconditional love, as we said before, we have to start with ourselves. If somebody, if we tell our spouse, I'm working on unconditional love, what that means is I'm going to love myself and not put myself in where I can get hurt. If you start to hurt me, I unconditionally love me and I will not let that happen. I'm not judging you, but I will not let you that happen to me. Beautiful. And I hope everybody's listening because there is this innate thing, especially if you've been raised by a hijackal or somebody difficult or somebody demanding or whatever name you want to put on them, that there's always 
concerned that you're not good enough. You're not doing it well enough. So if you grasp the idea of unconditional love and somebody knows that, they'll tell you you're not doing it well. And it's very important to say, no, that's an inside job for me. Unconditional love is an inside job for me, not something that you get to talk to me about and how well I'm doing it or not. Well, that's the other side of it is that relationship with us is only, only we can know what that is. And if anybody tries to tell us we're not doing it right, it's, who are you? You're not me. <laughs> exactly. You know, you're the expert in me, in I. I'm the expert in I. You're the expert in you. And never, you know, like they say, don't let, when a couple gets together, they say, what other, every, whatever you hear the gossip, come to me because we don't want to let anybody break us up. It's the same thing with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Nobody can say that's not right. Yes. And so many times people are by are being verbally abused in my work or emotionally abused. And one of the ways that that happens is that people, a hijacker will try to define your reality for you. They will tell you, well, here's what you think or here's what you feel. And I know you feel this way. And at that moment, like I tell them exactly what you say, just quietly say, well, I don't agree, and you're not me. So how could you possibly know what I think or feel? If you'd like to ask me and believe me, I'm happy to share it with you. And sometimes they may not come out and say it. They may not be consciously trying to hijack you, but they are so, they're so wrapped up in their own noise that the noise is starting to hijack us. And then I will say, I just need some time alone. I need to be with nature. I need to be with my angels. You may have pets. Go and just take that time as a cushion. Find yourself again. Take that secondhand noise out of the air mm-hmm. and be back loving yourself. Just as you're saying that, you can feel the breath and spaciousness in it. Mm-hmm. That's what you want to find, the breath and the spaciousness in something. You know, just on a side note, you mentioned animals. I have a little dog. We've been together for 11 years. And his name is Mystery. So Mystery is always with me. (laughs) And, you know, his name is Mystery for that reason, but also because I got him from a shelter and no one knows where he came from or how old he is or anything about him. But, you know, before we go on, and I just want to say, really examine what Swami's saying and, and what our conversation has been about and your feelings about unconditional love, your thoughts about it, and get clear within yourself. We're going to go on to talk about toxic relationships and other forms of relationship. So stay with us. So I'm here with my guest, Swami, and he has been talking about so many wonderful things that are different than we usually talk about here at Emotional Savvy. I try to bring you guests that will always bring you a new angle, a new insight, a new idea, a fresh approach. And we're surely doing that today, Swami. So thanks for being here. 
Thank you for having me. The questions are so wonderful. Well, I have another one for you. I'd like you to tell me, you know, we talk about toxic relationships here, so we're going to spend a moment on that. And how can a person let go of a toxic relationship issue coming from your thinking on that matter? Well, you know, everything I speak about is based on my own experience. Yes, I've studied in India for 40 years or so. But even then, I had to go and live my life. And when I moved up to the country and there was no other people around and I woke up and I could feel myself thinking some thoughts that were causing my back to spasm. And I said, Oh my God, it's me. It's my thoughts. And so when we talk about toxic thoughts, if we're fortunate enough to get into that space, to be alone for a while and examine our thoughts and, and that could be going away for a retreat, a silent retreat for a weekend or something, or even an hour or 20 minutes by yourself. Start to hear your thoughts and examine them. And does that feel good? Who tells me this? Sounds like my mother. So I sound like my father when I talk to my kids. <laughs> we're going to have that stuff because we're in a secondhand smoke community. And rather than say, I got to get away from your toxic, say, I have to discover where my toxic is and let me come to my joy, my love. It's, that's also a very long, not in an arduous way, but it's, it's a wonderful process. It's something we always, I need to filter all the time. Yes, it's a journey for sure. Um, I wrote a book called Soul Solitude, Taking Time for Our Souls to Catch Up with a former business partner. And it's so necessary to take what we call soul solitude time, whether that's 90 seconds at, at lunchtime or it's 90 minutes at some wonderful long time. But there's no right answer and there's no right way. It's that willingness to sit and make a connection with something larger than yourself. Is that the way you would describe what happens when you're sitting? You know, I just read somewhere that there's research that silence is more healing than healing music. I agree. So, <laughs> you know, I, I crave nature and I crave being alone, which is the farthest thing from the truth because I'm with my angels, I'm with my God, I'm with the, the force of spirit of, of what's alive. And that's, that's how much of that, it's up to each of us. If you have a dog, go for a walk in the park. In Japan, they have, I think they call the meditation forests or something. Right. You just go and breathe in. The trees give off oxygen and our carbon dioxide they, feeds them. So whatever we can do to just start, you know, our bodies are amazing. We do a little bit of good and they go, oh, I, I can take over from here. I know what to do now. Yes. You know, and that inner wisdom, the body has some inner wisdom. We can get closer to that inner wisdom. We can welcome that inner wisdom uh, by simply sitting quietly. You know, I, I live alone and I have beautiful places for sitting just for that. And I celebrate them. You know, I have a beautiful altar and I have flowers and I have all of those things and those aren't necessary. 
I choose to have them. But you can just have silence. You know, when I was in India and I came home, I'm sure you, with your long experience there, my 30 days doesn't, mu doesn't much ma matter. But the word that came to me was relentless. Like if you're in a city, it is relentless if you're not in your room. And I could see this grand contrast between sitting in silence with the monks up in Dharamsala at three o'clock in the morning <laughs> and then walking on the streets of Rishikesh, you know, with everything going on. And so that willingness to withdraw and to have that beautiful balance of coming and going from the silence into giving the gift and refreshing yourself and going again, those things are available to us, so readily available to us. You know, I want to, uh, I'm getting a message to take this one step further because people rightly will say, okay, withdraw, but how do, what about life? And the, what I'm finding is when you have a mission in life, so help heal veterans or help heal children or rescue animals, whatever you feel passionate about, that is the active form of silence, the active form of self-love, hmm. giving yourself the gift of, you know, in India, they say that everything is spirit. So the highest enlightenment is when you see pure spirit, in the physical form mm -hmm. and how does that happen from passion from service from loving i want to help these children i want to help these pets i want to help the environment that love is the com compressed silence that we infuse into that physicality that allows us you know how a doctor doesn't generally get sick around sick people they have a mission if we have a mission we can walk through life on our angel path, on our spirit path, and not be touched by the noise, the toxic. It's an armor. It's a blessing. It's a joy to go. We're just going to our target. So that would be my answer to the question that was asked in my head just now. How do you take that silence and apply it to life? I love what you said, to take the compressed silence out into the world. Because that is how it feels. It just feels like it's impacting and, and you know coming into you and infusing you and obviously just like those trees in those Japanese forests then then you have it to send out from you yes. and that exchange is endless it's endless the source you've captured the source of joy the source of God the source of spirit source of oneness in your pure love and it's and going back to what you said when somebody says that's not what you're thinking about if you have a vision, as crazy as it sounds, follow that vision and that's how you don't get affected by toxins of other people or yourself and you achieve your dreams and every little achievement celebrate because it helps us have the courage and the faith and the joy and the energy to go to the next level. So that brings us all the way around the circle because where are you going to find that? You're going to find it by listening, right? You're going to go within and listen. So, Swami, this has been a wonderful conversation. And for those of you who may not have heard, this is Swami Sada Shiva Tirtha, and he is the orange cowboy. And you can tell that. I mean, there you have it, two worlds.
(laughs) (laughs) Swami and the cowboy and uh, quite a dialogue those two people could have if you ever wanted to write another book. (laughs) Well, I I tell people, I remind people that Krishna was a cowboy because as he was a child, he took care of the cows, the cow herder. Well, that's true. I suppose that's exactly right. <laughs> and, and, you know, he's dancing on my altar playing his flute. Uh, <laughs> so I'll have to think about him as a cowboy. Maybe I'll get him a hat. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for being with us and sharing your wisdom and your joy because it's evident emanating from you. And I appreciate that so much about you. I enjoy your questions. They're just really important, crystal clear, clarifying questions. So thank you for sharing and giving me the opportunity to think about and get answers for that. You're so welcome. So for people who want to connect with Swami, if you want to learn more about him, go to orangecowboy.com. And if you want to know more about his TV show, talkingwithourangels.com. There you are, Swami, just stroking his wings there. So thanks so much for being with us. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. Learn more about my work, go to 4relationshiphelp.com. Catch me on YouTube at 4relationshiphelp.com. And listen to my other podcast, Save Your Sanity, Help for Handling Hijackles. Talk soon. Thanks for being here for today's episode of Emotional Savvy. If you want to deepen your emotional savvy, make shifts in your relationships, and enjoy life and relationships more, work with me, Dr. Roberta Shaler. Get my books, enjoy my courses, or work with me directly. You can do that by visiting 4relationshiphelp.com, F-O-R, relationship, H-E-L-P.com, and subscribe to Tips for Relationships now. Don't miss a thing. Be empowered this week with more emotional savvy.